Well, Dave, I'm ready for my extreme, extreme close-up, Mr. DeMille. My colonoscopy is Friday. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, if I've been looking forward to this. It's, it, I, it, it's, I, I, now, uh, it, they're saying that, I, it, that the traditional has been, they uh, encourage you to get a colonoscopy uh, at 50. They're actually saying, my young friend, that you should have them in your 40s. They're actually uh, uh, catching things earlier with people going in for a colonoscopy at 40. So you will be doing your cold open on your colonoscopy, I'm sure, sometime soon. Yes. Uh, but... Uh, mine is Friday, and uh, uh, it's, I, so I've been I've been uh, I've been on a health kick. I've been I've been trying to do better eating uh, sure. lately, and uh, and and by the way, doing really good. Partially because my wife uh, is totally in my corner, and she she does a lot of the cooking and, and food prep and stuff. So. It's very easy. She just uh, has found a bunch of healthier things. And I was really getting into the fruit and vegetable thing and really yeah, whamming fruits. And the one thing you can't have an entire week going up to a colonoscopy, the one thing you can't have is fruits and vegetables. And, oh, really? And Wait, you yeah. can't have that? You I can't would think have they would any want of that, that stuff. You, uh, white carbs, <laughs> oh. <laughs> a lot of white carbs, a lot of meat. Uh, I, I think the idea is, and, and then of course, uh, you, you, for an entire week, you no fruits, no vegetables, white carbs and meat. Uh, and then of course you take all that laxative and then the day before you just stay in one particular room of the house. And I think that's just to kind of like flush everything out. <laughs> uh, God. But I, I, I now that I finally got used to eating fruits and vegetables, now I've got to go back to eating carbs and, and, and meat and all this stuff, and my body doesn't know what to do. I, 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 I'm actually staring forlornly at the grapes in the refrigerator. You're like a, suddenly like a linebacker for the Raiders. You're trying to carb load before a game, yeah, and you're, yeah. you're throwing down uh, white bread, and, and uh, oh boy. Well, I can tell you what, Brad, this whole segment gives a whole new definition to the phrase cold open for a podcast. <laughs> So thank you, thank you for bringing up your. <laughs> I uh, is it is it is it a, is it a whole day affair? Like, do you have to set aside a whole day, or how how well, much? Well, I mean, I'm gonna. Also, I'm g- I don't know how many follow up questions I want to ask about Yeah, like this. like how much do you want to know? Like the the day before is is a completely dead day because they say you spend all your time in the bathroom. I've got to eat. I, I've got to drink ridiculous amounts of laxatives. Uh, the, the, the the kids have already been warned because you you mix it with gay. Gatorade, and the kids have already been warned, do not touch the Gatorade. (laughs) Whatever you do, there's a pitcher of Gatorade in the fridge getting nice and cold. Don't touch the Gatorade. Uh, And and so Thursday is going to be a wasted day. Friday, oh, and get this, uh, because nobody else is able to, and because they wouldn't just let me take a lift home, my father-in-law is going to be picking me up after the colonoscopy. So I get to I get to jump into the car with him, and and I and I hear because of all the impacted air, I hear you tend to move a lot of the air out after your colonoscopy. (laughs) So I'll be driving with my father-in-law, trying desperately not to fart in his new car, his new Subaru, no less. And it's just, I'm not looking forward to Friday. I'm not looking forward to Friday. By the time I get home, I'm just going to pull the sheets over my head and uh, try to not exist for a few hours. So I'm, I'm going to role play for everyone. Brad Geiger in his father-in-law's car, his new Subaru, right? Let me be like, what's your father-in-law's name just for Tim, the purposes Tim. of this bit? Tim? Tim. Okay. Oh, Tim, thanks for picking me up. Oh, it's such a... 
be beautiful day out here in Philadelphia. Let's let's roll these windows down, huh? Let's roll these windows down. Put a little snow. That never hurt anybody. A little snow. Tim, oh, let's get Tim, these windows Tim, down. Tim, look out! You're gonna hit that squirrel. Oh, you hit him. <laughs> well, whatever you do, try, try not to hit that bird in the. Oh, I think you hit that one too. <laughs> oh God. Imagine though, Brad, you did, you've done a, eight years of medical school, two to three yeah. years of residency. I was thinking about these and, guys. And then you're like, I'm helping out of humanity. And you are, admittedly, yes. you're helping yes. out humanity. But your job all day is like, whoop, here we go with the camera. Yeah. Let's get those fiber yeah. optics out. You deal with more assholes than the DMV. <laughs> And it's it's every day, every day, and and it's just I I've got so many questions about their lives. I really oh my do. God, oh, we got to go out on that joke. I'm gonna say hello, everybody. Welcome to Comic Lab, the show about making comics <laughs> and making a living from comics. I'm Brad Geiger, the author of the Web Comics Handbook and the creator of Evil Inc. And I'm his friend Dave Kellett singing Moons Over Miami, <laughs> cartoonist of Drive and Sheldon and co-director of Stripped. And this week, so I hope they've got a small camera. I real if they go with the wide angle, I'm gonna be really upset. <laughs> you just gotta hope they don't bring the fisheye lens out. Yeah. That's what <laughs> this week's hour of comics advice is made possible by your support at patreon.com slash comic lab. So Dave, Dave, let's talk comics. Let's talk comics, my friend. And just a reminder that this show is going out live to our live gab group over at patreon.com slash comic lab. You could be joining us to watch the live stream every week. Uh, we record at a consistent time and there's a chat that runs concurrently with the show so we can answer questions and comments and considerations before, during, and after the show. And if you happen to miss the show for life, love, or learning, you can watch the archive show uh, on the old stream there later on. And Brad, I got to tell you, one thing about a colonoscopy too, because I, yeah. I go to UCLA as my hospital, which is a teaching yeah. hospital. <laughs> and my dad was a doctor, so he was always like, listen, you got to support a teaching hospital. That's how yeah. people learn, right? So anytime they're like, hey, do you mind if we bring in 20 medical students to watch this procedure? I'm always like, oh, yeah, it's a teaching <laughs> hospital. I got to support the next generation of doctors. <laughs> but like, the thing, please tell me you're not getting your colonoscopy done by a teaching hospital because you don't want somebody the first time going like, all right, here we go, Mr. <laughs> Geiger. <laughs> yeah, you mean you mean a teaching hospital like the University of Pennsylvania uh, Medical oh, Center? No. UPenn? Oh, no. Yeah, oh, yeah no. that's that's exactly where I'll be. I <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be there with, with, with I'll, well, my, my plan is, do you know how those boxes have the arrows printed on them? This end up. <laughs> I'm just going to do that just to, just to hedge my bets for, right? Cause oh. you know me, I'll get the C minus student. Yeah. <laughs> Or the, yeah, the, or the, you just don't want the, sh the short sighted uh, one that they forgot their glasses that day. You yeah, know, yeah. you want to, you, no you want to make sure they're, they're, uh, they're, they're ready to go. Well, today we've got a really exciting show for you because, uh, not only are we going to be doing our standard Patreon questions that we're excited to jump into, but we yeah. have super special guests all the way from Germany, Elizabeth yeah. and Jonathan of warandpeas.com, warandpeas, P E A S.com. Uh, Brad and I are huge fans of their comics and they went out of their way to uh, to chat with us again all the way from Germany and it, we're so excited yeah. to have them on the show. But Brad, what is our first question for today, my friend? Well, the first question comes in from our Patreon backer, Christian, who says, I was just wondering if having a title having too many words would affect readership. Also, 
can these tips be applied to other forms of media like manga? So, Dave, let's talk about naming your comic. Uh, and, and it's a deceptively uh, difficult question. What, what do you when you're coming up with a name? Is it possible to have too many words in the title? And if so, is that going to hurt your readership? Well, it's funny that they should mention manga, actually, because manga has started to impact how I feel about longer titles. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it is a, a cultural difference or uh, or what, but there seems to be a tradition of accepting four, five, six, seven word titles in manga that you would not see in American comics. Yeah. I mean, if anything, uh, in sort of the American cartooning tradition, very broadly written in animation, Disney has increasingly moved to smaller and smaller, usually focusing on one word titles. Yeah. You know, you've got your frozen, you've got your uh, tangled, that kind of stuff. Um, I think in part it's because for both for children's uh, um, understanding and children's retention of a title, it's easier for a three or four year old to go tangled than it is for to say, right. uh, you know, kill six billion demons as uh, for a, a three year old yeah. to say, you know, that kind of thing. So um, I, I so it's clear why Disney's doing it. It also helps with logo design. It helps with potentially with clearance in multiple, multiple, multiple markets mm -hmm. uh, for trademark and registration. Uh, but there is an argument to be made, Brad, and tell me how you feel about this, that yeah. in today's world, it's increasingly hard to own a word yes. or own a two word title that in order to stand out, kind of everything's been taken at this point. Yes. It's like URLs uh, where all the good stuff was taken in 2001, but you yeah. know, there's nothing left. So uh, do you think that that impacts your decision in terms of naming a future project? Yeah, I, I, it really does. I'll be honest with you. I, I, I'm, I, I, you brought me back to the early 2000s. There was a web comic in early 2000s, uh, and the name of the comic I think was "All the Good Names Are Taken," right? Because <laughs> the person couldn't think of a of a name for his comic, and I think that's what they titled it or something along those lines. Uh, so the first thing I'm going to say is, listen, the, without without getting too navel gazy, without without worrying too much about this topic. If the comic is good, people are going to read it no matter what you call it, right? So quality is always the first thing that you, you've got to have clearance for, right? If the comic is great, doesn't matter what you call it. You can call it Uncle Freddy's uh, Fun House on the corner of the street down the left uh, and, and across the way, and people are going to find it. They're going to come up with an acronym for it. They're, they're going to read that comic if it's good, Right. So let's right. take but but let's take quality and say all things being equal. Right. Let's you take quality off the table. I'm going to say for myself, I would very much uh, suggest a shorter title than a longer mm -hmm. title. For mm -hmm. just that reason, it's going to be easier to talk about. It's going to be easier to promote it. You're not going to have I, I've got one that's called Evil Ink After Dark. Four words. Even at that, it starts to get a little bit cumbersome to talk yeah. about it, to promote it. I yep. always end up coming with a uh, with a certain uh, acronym where, and I put the I in lowercase. Everything else is in uppercase, so it's E I A D, but it has a unique look, and I do that mm -hmm. specifically because of that instead of all mm -hmm. caps. Uh, I, I so even even four words starts to get a little bit cumbersome. So. Yes, I would I would say the fewer words, the better, all things being equal. But like Dave said, 
<laughs> there's been a lot of people winnowing down titles and, and using them. And of course, for trademark, you don't have to really you're just looking in the sphere of comics, per se, uh, and, and things that would be in that same trade. But even then, even then, you've you've got a lot of competition oh. for words. So you're going to probably find yourself trying to find, as always, the best of both worlds or some kind of happy medium that has a longer title, but not too long. Right. And, and, and has just short enough to be uh, uh, unique and promotable and and usable and just long enough so that you're not getting in any anyone's uh, uh, way in terms of the uh, in terms of the comic. But holy moly, it's 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 a lot more difficult than people give it credit for. Yeah. And and Brad is hitting the the nail on the head there that it has to be distinctive, but not too distinctive. It's got to be short yeah. but not, or it's got to be long, but not too long. Like there's a lot of things to consider in that you're not only competing with existing trademarks mm -hmm. and you're not only competing with existing URLs. You're also competing with 130 years of comics history of titles that have been used that might get confused with you. And you're yeah. also competing in a broader sense with 600 years of titles in the English language in all sorts of, because frankly, uh, my science fiction comic strip is called Drive. Well, a couple years after I started it or somewhere parallel to it, I don't remember how the, what the timeline was, there was a movie that came out called Drive, right? Yeah. And, uh, many years after I came up with the comic strip Sheldon, there's a TV show called Young Sheldon. And there was an animated show called Sheldon, which actually stepped on my trademark. But anyway, yeah. um, uh, so what I'm getting at there is that there's, there's market confusion even across mediums. And as Brad was hinting at, trademarks tend to, to be filed based on type of use and to the class and the, and the type of trade that you're conducting. So if I'm in printed matter, that's different than if I'm doing video games. And if I'm in TV, that's different than if I'm doing radio songs or whatever, or radio yeah. plays rather. So, um, but, but you and I all know that uh, there's still market confusion even across very different means of transmission. So mm -hmm. my Drive title still sometimes people are like, wait, wasn't there a movie called Drive? Sheldon, yeah. even though I was there first, they're like, wait, isn't there a TV show called Young Sheldon? Well, yes. So you're running <laughs> up against a lot of considerations when it comes yeah. to the ownability of a title in an age where we have instant access to 600, 700 years of art oh. in the English language. Instant access, right? Everything yeah. that, that Tennyson, Shakespeare, uh, you know, Dickens, whatever, who, it doesn't matter who, what it was. And frankly, Brad, sometimes we're also confused with like, oh, there was a, a thing that ran in Australia in the Sydney market in 1975 that yeah. was called Evil Inc. And Brad's like, how the hell would I have known that? I would have yeah. known, didn't know yeah. that, you know, that kind of thing. So. Um, anyway, I will say, like Brad, I think short, pithy, to the point, memorable comics is what you always want to air towards, but it is an imperfect world. I agree. And as we go over towards our next question, I'm going to just tie this one up with a quick tangent. Did you know there are actually two comics that are called Dennis the Menace? There's yes. a United States version and a UK version. But did you know this? They were both published uh, for the first time on the same day, March 12th, 1951. They both had their first comic published on the same day, same name, two different continents, uh, and, and totally no connection between the two of them. It was just a coincidence. Yeah. 
The fact that, uh, by the way, there is a word for this in in uh, social studies in terms of creativity that happens in very different places at the exact same time. The same thing happened with calculus, by the way, on opposite ends of Europe. That mm -hmm. it was within the same six month period, calculus was invented on one end of Western Europe and on another end of Eastern Europe. Yeah. Uh, but the fact that, by the way, the American dentist, the menace, kind of a sweet little piece of yeah. work. Like he, yeah. you know, he's got the, the UK dentist, the menace is a son of a bitch. That kid's you like, I will burn your house down and then I'm coming after your family. Like that dentist, the menace is like, I'm, I'm, I'm out for blood. Uh, yeah. But the fact that the same day on completely different markets, a comic yeah. strip would both be created called Dennis the Menace is bonkers. Yeah. But it also speaks to the fact that like, um, Yes, that's going to happen where shared creativity in the zeitgeist, you're going to have things that happen in the same way, yep. by the way, for those that remember it, I had that um, kaiju idea. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it had been done two years previous with a very similar right. title because it's kind of in the zeitgeist, if I'm being honest right. about it, even though I independently came up with the idea that cartoonist and I probably had the same inputs and our brains triggered the same thoughts and mm -hmm. bada bing, bada boom, out came a title like kaijus and cowboy. Anyway, what I'm getting at here, though, is that. Don't forget that there is a nigh infinite number of words in the English yeah. language in terms of combinations. So you can make a very ownable title like the oatmeal, which you now immediately associate yeah. not yeah. with food, but with a really distinctive artist that makes a really distinctive Boy, comic. True. So look outside the box when you're trying to come up with single one word, two word, pithy, memorable titles. Oh, that is really good advice. So let's let's move from there to another question from one of our Patreon backers. This coming in from JC Knight, who says, what are the pros and the cons of revealing your earnings on Patreon? Right. You you have the you have the choice of uh, revealing the number of Patreon backers you have and the, the total amount of money you're earning. You can make that both of those numbers public or private. What are the pros and cons of doing this? And how do you go from showing them to removing them? I'm thinking about removing them and I'm wondering if I should and how do I manage that change with my backers? So Dave, let's talk public versus private numbers on Patreon. Well, I would actually like to tackle that first part or the second part rather first, which yeah. is how do I manage it with my existing backers? And the good news here is I think you don't need to manage a dang no. thing if you decide yes. to make this change. Uh, no one will look. No one will care. In the rare, weird chance that someone happened to have looked last week, notice that you had 75 backers, looks this week, notice that it's not published anymore. They probably don't care or they'll right. probably think it's some weird glitch like you don't you do not have to manage it with existing backers because frankly the Im implicit and explicit promise you're making with Patreon our patron backers is yeah. I'm giving you great comics and I'm giving you exclusives and I'm giving you behind the scenes. I'm giving you all this sort of stuff. And you're helping to support that happening with a monetary uh, support on a monthly basis. The exchange is not, I'm going to give you all the data you need on my business. So that's, that's neither implied nor explicit that you're going to give that to them. So it's not necessarily something you need to explain away when you do it. But now let's have you jump in, Brad, on publishing or not publishing that data. And how do you feel about that? Yeah, well, first of all, I, I agree 100%. You don't know anybody, any numbers or any any answers on that. But uh, so let's talk about whether you should make it public or not. Uh, I've got, uh, I've got, uh, uh, it's a sliding scale, okay? Especially, especially if you're doing uh, a, one of your Patreon rewards is something that you're keeping completely behind Patreon, 
right? If you're, if, if you're doing, and, and that includes a lot of not safe for work people, but also other people that might have an exclusive reward that they're just not sharing at all outside of Patreon. The big problem is there, uh, nobody can see it. So they don't know whether they like it or not. Right. That's a, that's a problem. So I say when you're starting out, when you're in building mode, I like to have those numbers forward facing. I like to have them public when you're in building mode. That would because number one, uh, that gives you a lot of stuff to talk about. I remember when I was starting my Patreon, I did it very much uh, like a Kickstarter because I said, hey, we're up to 100. Let's see if we can get up to 200. We're up to 200 uh, people. Let's see if we can get to 300. It always gave me something to talk about. When I had little uh, significant points along the way, it gave me more stuff to uh, talk about in a, in a, in a, a very upbeat way about my Patreon. Uh, so when you're in building mode, I think having those numbers facing publicly is a good thing. Later on, when you've reached a, a, a point of stasis or when you've reached a point that you're comfortable with, then, or, or, or it's just that number starting to get a little bit high. Uh, then I like turning those numbers off and I'll tell you why. Number one, you're not in building mode anymore and, mm-hmm. and, and you don't have, it, you've kind of reached a stasis. So you're not always uh, crowing about those numbers and you, it, they, they lose that appeal of we're building something. So that's number one. Number two, and, and I, 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 I very much believe this happens uh, even if you never use the words support me on Patreon, which we've we've said on a, a lot of times in the past, don't use those words. Uh, but even if you aren't using that concept of support, that concept of support is being used by a whole lot of people around you. Right. And some of which maybe just don't understand why they shouldn't use the word. And some of them may be doing an actual, legitimate, genuine support based Patreon. So the idea of support is out there uh, a lot, all right? And with varying levels of people understanding it. If you have a high number and somebody, uh, a potential backer comes to your page and looks at it and sees a number that they judge to be high and they've got that support idea in their mind, they might think to themselves, ah, this person doesn't need my support and they'll hightail it out of there, right? That's a problem. That's, that I don't like thinking about too much. So I keep my number uh, private because I don't want somebody with a support-based mindset to come in and decide that I don't need support. And that's why when I'm talking about my Patreon, you never hear me say support. I make it more transactional. I've got stuff in there that you'd like to see. You'd like to be part of the community. Let's make this happen. And then I start walking them up the ladder, $2 to $5 to $10 to $20 to $20. Uh, that's how I approach Patreon and for exactly that reason. So after you get to a point where you've kind of shifted away from building mode and you you're uh, in stasis, then I say you're free and clear to make that number a private number because now not only is it, is it not doing anything good, but I could see some cases where it could actually be a detriment. Well, first off, Brad, I want to co-sign everything that you just said, because I thought that was brilliantly summarized. I completely agree with you that there is a building mode and then there's a sort of sustaining mode or Mm -hmm. pro-am or pro-mode that you don't need to be so uh, descriptive. And like Brad, I think something weird happens to a sort of lizard brain thinking of social animals like humans 
when you are perceived to be doing better than they think you should be doing or mm-hmm. perceived just as good as they think you should be doing. And somehow the the desire to support, the desire to be a part of the community diminishes for some weird reason. Mm-hmm. And so um, what I do, and I think this is worth adding to the conversation, is I keep the number of people public yeah. because to me what that is is like the line outside of a popular local yes. restaurant. Yes. Have you ever driven by, Brad, when you're trying to decide for date night, you're like, where are we going to go? And you're like, holy hell, that place always has a line. Yeah. They've got to be doing something right. A hundred people are, are waiting 40 minutes to go eat there. Mm-hmm. So you go try it out. And that's kind of the word of mouth feeling that you're trying to generate by publishing your numbers of followers, your backers, mm-hmm. your patrons. Um, so I agree with Brad on that one. I take the, the the cash number out because, again, it's even though Brad, for example, dearest friend, we we share more about our business than anything we do with anybody else. I don't need to know how much Brad's pulling in for Evil Inc. He doesn't yeah. need to know it, it. None of that. It, it it doesn't benefit. Even I'm saying friend relationships for whom we share all of our business details. Neither one of us needs to know. It's fine. Right. Um, so uh, I, I take that down because it just. It creates an odd psychological situation that is kind of hard to explain, but definitely happens. And also Mm -hmm. for the one, two, three weirdos on the Internet who might have it out for you, it also gives them weird ammunition. Like this Dave Kellett, that son of a bitch, he's making blankety blank amount of money on drive and he can't do four comics a week. What's wrong with this guy? You know, like what's he what's he building up his days that he can't do this? So what I'm saying is there will be one or two bad actors in the world that have it out Mm -hmm. for you no matter what you do. And it's kind of just giving those people ammunition. Uh, I mean, am I wrong there, Brad? No, I agree 100 percent. There comes a time when that number is not useful. And and, and specifically, I do. I do agree because I I was just looking at mine. I think I do the same thing. I I keep the the, the dollar amount hidden and I will share the total number of of patrons because, again, especially for me, some of that deals in such a high quantity of exclusive rewards that you can't see anyplace else. Having a big number there is a mark of quality. Right there. Okay, a lot of people are there. It must be good. I'll give it a shot. It's the mm-hmm. the, the line outside the door is an excellent metaphor for that. Uh, it's it, it that is good. But but the number that the, the dollars that's that's nobody's business. And you're absolutely right. At some point, it's not a plus. It's a minus. Hey, if you're listening while you work, take a minute to stand and stretch. And while you're doing that, we're going to tell you why you should join us on Patreon. When you do, you're going to get hours and hours of podcasts that we've recorded just for backers. And exclusive Patreon posts that go even deeper on Comic Lab topics. And access to our exclusive Discord server, which is a thriving community of professional cartoonists. So you can support the show you love and get tons of actionable resources for your own cartooning. And listen, if you can't swing a pledge this month, we get it. No worries. Yeah, yeah, listen, you can still support the show by rating us wherever you get your podcasts. Just leave a five-star review and a few kind words. That, along with mentions on social media, is incredibly helpful. Now, everybody, let's talk comics. Well, Brad, we got a couple fun updates. Well, not really so fun updates for this week's show. Uh, one is uh, we should mention because it relates heavily, heavily, heavily to web oh, comics. Yeah. The uh, the second largest bank failure in all of American history uh, yeah. as, as the time of this recording happened within this past week. And uh, so Silicon Valley Bank uh, failed this week for a couple of reasons that we could get into in terms of 
holding long-term uh, bonds when and when they lost value in the rising interest rate. Anyway, long story short, huh. uh, this was a very unique bank that did a lot of banking with Silicon Valley and startups specifically. So it was one of the rare banks in the U.S. where the majority, like the vast majority of the holdings, like 90, 95% of the holdings were yeah. above the FDIC limit of $250,000 insured. Most companies were multiple, multiple millions in in SVB. And so when it went up, uh, the payroll was stopped for a bunch of Silicon Valley companies. And Brad, how did that impact web comics? Oh my gosh. Well, it was, it was really interesting because, uh, we always say, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket have lots of legs underneath the table. And, uh, it, it was really funny because as I was looking at this, I went right to, to DEF CON two with this, right. And, and with me, it's always pay the mortgage first. Pay the yes. mortgage. If you got to let the electricity bill go, you let it go, but pay the mortgage. And so immediately I started doing the math in my head. Okay, how am I, if, if in the worst case scenario, how am I going to pay the mortgage? And we do have uh, an emergency fund, but I was like, let's, let's, let's hold that back <laughs> just in case we need the emergency fund further. How would I pay this? And it's like, well, okay, I've got a certain amount of money set aside for taxes. Uh, but, uh, usually I can, uh, like the federal taxes usually were good that first quarter, uh, because I pay a little bit more. You don't need to know all this stuff other than to say I had a certain amount of money I could put my hands on. Great. But it wasn't enough, but that's okay. I said to myself, if evil Inc. isn't paying out, I still got comic lab in that pay. Uh, can't do that. Can't touch that. Cause that's another Patreon, but that's okay. Because one of the good things about putting out a lot of content, and I do put out a lot of content for Patreon, I've got tons of stuff. I could turn into a book like that and I can do a kickstart. Uh, can't do a Kickstarter because Kickstarter did value at, uh, or a, a Silicon value bank too. They, they did their banking there. So I, I can't do Patreon. I can't do Kickstarter, but that's okay. That's okay. I'm a, I'm a think on your feet kind of guy. I'll just go over to Etsy and uh, 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 Etsy was on the list too. All of our things, all the places yeah. that we could go. Now I'm sure, I mean, at that point it's the, then you start looking, you know, hoping that maybe one of the Patreon clones doesn't do their banking at SVB, but SVB had all of these folks. So chances are the clones are going to be uh, locked up with a Silicon Valley bank too. I had a really tough night Saturday night. I had one of my, uh, one of the first like two o'clock stare at the ceilings and feel your heart thump out of your chest nights that I've had in a long, long time. Uh, I, because all of the places that we would go, it went beyond putting all your eggs in one basket because all of the eggs we're in the SVB basket. It wasn't about my basket. It was about their basket and everything right. was in their basket. Right. Uh, so it's like all of a sudden, holy shit, how am I going to make this happen? And you start go to, okay, well, we'll talk about that in a little bit. What do you do? But uh, it is a good wake up call and something that we'll talk about here on the show. And that is, this is a good time, Dave, to have a couple of things in your back pocket, or at least have a start thinking about a couple of things. And what are those things? Well, yeah, it's sort of a come to Jesus moment in the sense that like uh, both Brad and I were talking about our emergency fund for when things really go wrong. And yeah. it's I want to say with the caveat that it's so easy to say, oh, yeah, you got to build up your emergency fund. I, yeah. I get that it's harder than any of us uh, uh, wanted to take on. But 
One of the reasons why Brad and I have been able to cartoon for 20 years, 25 years as professionals is mm -hmm. you have to keep an eye on your both your horizon for income for the next month, the next six months. But also you kind of have to try to build up your emergency fund. So when th something like this comes you know, along, none of us foresaw the failure of the second largest bank in American history, uh, second largest bank failure, sorry, in American history. None of us saw that coming. And then none of us knew the client list of that was every single oh, company that we yeah. do business with. So that even if we had many legs under the table, all of those legs were under that one table for, for their banking. Yeah. So what I'm saying is there are certain things and the, 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 um, the pandemic was another one where it just reinforces that where and when you can, Try to build up, even if it's just one month of emergency funds, mm -hmm. that would be so that you have no income coming in. You still have one month that you yeah. could cover every single bill in your life. Right. Yeah. And then over the course of the next couple of years, try to build that up to two months to three right. months. You know, the sort of ideal that they say is six to 12 months, if you can ever get to that. And, you know, yeah. it's hard for a, a, for a lot of families, for a lot of people that yeah. are living right on the edge, paycheck to paycheck. I get it. But. This is one of those things where if you want to do cartooning long term, it is good idea. And this was a, a wake up call for Brad and I mm -hmm. that uh, you got to maintain that emergency fund because sometimes it also dwindles in a way that you weren't paying attention, Brad. And then you look at it, you go, hey, wait, what happened to my emergency? Fund? Uh, yeah, what happened? That's the that's the new emergency. And, and yeah. also, how can you make money happen quickly? Yes. Like each yes. of us should have a couple of things in our back pocket that if we need to. Uh, we can make money happen immediately. And and so what are a couple of those things? Well, commissions are one, being yep. able to go out and and start taking commissions. And that, and by the way, we had a show where we went on a deep dive on how to best handle commissions and stuff. So we've got mm -hmm. you covered there. Uh, but commissions is one. Another one is one that you're really good at, Dave, and that's selling originals on places like eBay. Well, yeah. And so there's two ways I can do it. I because Sheldon is all drawn originals uh, by ink on paper, I can sell all those. But then I try if I'm just sitting watching The Mandalorian one day and I've got good paper and good pens in front of me, I'll yeah. try to create a piece specifically for eBay. And yeah. what do I mean when I say create a piece for eBay? I mean something that's very frameable. You can imagine walking into somebody's living room or bathroom or entryway. And that's a there's a frameable piece of yeah. art that was meant to be framed. It's not accidentally frameable. It was meant to be framed. And yeah. I find that if with with not a lot of effort. Uh, I can make a piece that'll generate 50, 100, 150, 500 if I'm really lucky. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's a great way to turn around um, really a 20 cent piece of paper, pennies of ink into 100, potentially hundreds of dollars just with the addition of time and a little bit of self-marketing. So yeah. that's a great one for uh, to generate money quickly. Another one, if I can put be so bold as to say, have a sale, uh, do do a bit of marketing really quickly to 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 yeah. generate. You could either do things like, hey, this week artist editions for every book that's sold in the in right. the store. Right. Is it more of a hassle to you? Yes. Do you need money desperately? Yes. You can generate yes. a couple hundred dollars if you have to by making all the artist editions. And that's something to also keep in mind, like this year, if you're if you've got a Kickstarter uh, on the on the horizon and, yes. and assuming uh, assuming and I'm, I'm pretty confident things are going to be just fine from the sounds of it. Everything's going to work out. But you've got a Kickstarter. So if you've got a Kickstarter, you've got to take a look at that uh, as uh, not only uh, getting enough books to service the people who supported the Kickstarter, but also 
that Kickstarter has got to pay for another 100, 200, 500 books that you can put in storage. So you've got stock that you can fall back on like this, right? If you've done a Kickstarter and you've only got five or six extra books, you're not, you're not doing that Kickstarter right. You need, you need that the whole idea of a Kickstarter is to generate stock. Then you go back to that stock. Not only are you selling it throughout the year and, and, and like all these other places that we do, do, but like Dave just said, if you've got stock and you can say, Hey, original art, I'm going to put a, a, a artist edition, original illustration in each one of these books that you buy right now. Uh, mm-hmm. You've got that in your back pocket to, to, to go to, and that's important. So if you don't have that right now, this is the time to start thinking about it. Make sure that that Kickstarter is big enough that it includes a whole lot of extra books. And if it doesn't, then you got to think about how you can actually make that happen. Yeah. And so, and by the way, all of this advice is going to vary slightly to whatever your business is. But yeah, what Brad and I are saying is it's worth taking a moment to think about like, hey, if I needed to generate 500, 1,000, mm-hmm. 1,500 bucks quickly, how could I do yeah. that? And yeah. because it, it doesn't take a bank failure to require suddenly your transmission blows or somebody in your house has a weird medical bill that no one anticipated. You know, someone uh-huh. shatters a tooth or something. And for whatever reason, that, that specific shattering wasn't covered on insurance, you know, that kind of thing. So um, it is worth having these in your back pocket because as Brad always says, this is a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah. And so you're for the long-term health of your career, having both an emergency fund, but also having in your back pocket the ability to generate money quickly if you have to, they're kind of necessary go-tos for a long-term yeah. career. Absolutely. And uh, take a look at it. Uh, take a look at it this way. We had our wake-up call this weekend, Right. Now's the time. Nobody lost any any blood. Everybody came out, hopefully, pretty much unscathed, especially once those Patreon checks clear at the end of March. We'll know that everything came out okay. But this is the time to start saying, hey, this thing could happen. And it happened very quickly. It happened very quickly, Dave, over the course of a few hours. It was like, oh, 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 no. So this is the time to prepare now for the next one, because the next one, we might not be so lucky. Yeah. Well, the weird thing about this from a historical perspective is that social media has definitely sped up the possibility for a bank run. Yeah. Uh, Because imagine Jimmy Stewart's uh, you haven't seen It's a Wonderful Life, Brad. It's such a shame. But imagine Jimmy Stewart's in the the savings and loan. It's like, well, your money's not here. It's in Jim's house. (laughs) It's Susan's house. Your money's not here. Um, So imagine that happening. But then everybody's tweeting about it. That bank run would have been five times larger in It's a Wonderful Life if Mm -hmm. if people had uh, Instagram and social media. And that's what happened with Silicon Valley Bank. These were all super connected uh, digital, digital, what do they call them? Digirati that yeah. were all hyper connected to one another. And as soon as uh, money started getting pulled out by this bank or by this company, they all started doing it. Yeah. And uh, anyway, long story short, for if you if you're young, by the way, this comes in cycles. About every seven to fifteen years, banks fail. And what happens uh-huh. is they get deregulated because some rich lobbyist says, "Oh, we don't need rules for banks." And oh. then they uh, they they all try to make a little bit more money, and then one of them fails, and then the cycle starts over again every seven, fifteen years. So just know that this will happen again, so you do need to be prepared for it. Absolutely, David. So we've got one more uh, update today, and it is this. When we had Scott Kurtz, our friend, on the show not too long ago, he was talking about his tab mate, which is like a little remote control that you use. Uh, Clip Studio actually made it specifically to be used with Clip Studio. And 
Um, you use it as you're drawing digitally with uh, w- with your uh, with your digital drawing tablet. And what it does is that instead of having your hand on the keyboard, and I was trying to explain this to my kids because of how everything's set up, you got to have the keyboard off to the side, and you end up doing a lot of weird things with your wrist, and, and you're risking some repeated stress injury. Uh, uh, these little remote uh, controls are actually good because they set up a bunch of buttons on a on a remote, and you yep. can memorize what the buttons do. And so you, you don't have to have your hand your hand you know crouched over top of the keyboard. And Scott was talking about this tab mate, which was uh, eighty bucks, and how much he really liked it. Uh, and and we were comparing it to the one that Wacom sends with some of their models, which is this big brick thing that that is just not very usable. Uh, and we were ooing and eyeing, uh, but but Dave, both of you, uh, uh, both you and me, uh, are are kind of uh, uh, well. I won't say cheapskates. I'll just say we 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 have an appreciation for the DIY lifestyle. <laughs> and we were thinking, <laughs> we were thinking, how could I save it? I, how could I do this myself? And, and do about the same thing. And, and that set us on on something that, by the way, this weekend was so fun to work on and take my mind off of Silicon Valley Bank, but it led us on a little adventure. Absolutely. And one of the things that was, that was interesting about this was um, Brad uses CSP, and so um, he could have bought the TabMate. I use right. Photoshop, and so the TabMate wasn't even an option. So right. t- separate from being cheap, there is a DIY aspect to this because we needed, or I needed, specifically yeah. a non-TabMate way to um, to have a remote on um, on my Photoshop system. So this first led me down to the path, uh, and we're just gonna share about this because um, coming up specifically for Patreon folks, Brad and I think we have reached the promised land after a weekend yeah. of, of uh, fiddling around with first the 8-bit do 02 uh, controller. They're little teeny tiny controllers that fit in your palm of your hand. Yeah. And then with more success, yeah. With a Nintendo Switch left-handed controller, yeah. of which a ton of uh, families and households have an extra one in their house, uh, just by virtue of how well that that platform is sold. Um, so we have those two options, and I think we're going to to really put forward an amazing little one-page PDF for our Patreon backers yeah. in the next week or two after we've done some some troubleshooting and a week of living with it, especially for the Switch controller because mm-hmm. that seems to be the more comfortable of the two. We'll be honest. Yeah, we we was, tried the 8-bit do. It's a little tight in a carpally, tunnely kind of way on your thumb, mm-hmm, especially mm-hmm. trying to reach around to certain buttons. But the switch was designed for vertical forward facing holding yeah. and um, is perfect, perfect for uh, what we're trying to do, which is to recreate the tab mate. So keep yeah. an eye on that in the week ahead. So we're going to be doing that on pro tips, by the way. We're going to do a little yes. deep dive on setting it up, how to set it up, uh, some thoughts on uh, how to do that, why to do it, because there's there, it actually turned into a whole lot more than we thought that we were going to be doing. So be watching pro tips for that uh, deep dive. Uh, and uh, other other than that, it was just a great way for my son to uh, turn the tables on me because, of oh course, God, I don't yes. know the first thing about the Nintendo Switch. And, and my son, Max absolutely uh is all things nintendo all things switch and uh and 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 i got to hear what my parenting must have sounded like when it because all of a sudden it was coming out of somebody else's mouth and he goes (laughs) 
That's how you're holding the switch, huh? Is that how you're going to hold it? You're going to hold it wrong? Do you want to learn the right way? I'll throw it the right way. You're doing it all wrong. Let me see your fingers. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute. Is this what I sound like? He just said, put your fingers like this. And so uh, he got, he, he was actually, uh, gave us all kinds of head start because he looked at uh, what the programming for this. And he's like, oh yeah, this, this abbreviation means this, this abbreviation means that. So thanks to Max, we got a big head start and yeah. I got a, a very sobering and uh, uh, humbling uh, uh, look at what my parenting is like. I have to say, it was delightful to troubleshoot this with Brad to try to figure this out because A, every once in a while in life, it's just fun to have a problem that you're trying to figure out with a friend. Yeah. But we're on FaceTime and we're trying to figure out how to do the key mapping for the Switch. And it was so delightful to have Max in the background on Brad's end because he was he was clearly like, well, here's grandpa and grandpa's friend on FaceTime yeah. trying to trying to use a fax machine for the first time. You know, like it was yeah. it was so clear what a generational difference with that technology was. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he was very patient with us. We do have to yeah. say Max was very, very patient. So listen to the listen uh, 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 to a future episode of Pro Tips. We're going to have it all for you there. And we're very excited about uh, some of the things that this could mean. So, Dave, if in case you haven't noticed, I'm super excited today because we've got a couple people who are absolutely some of my fa favorite comics creators. If you've ever seen the comic War and Peas, and by the way, if you haven't, you must be living under a rock. They're everywhere. Uh, we've got the, the the dynamic duo behind that comic, Elizabeth Pish and Jonathan Kuntz. Welcome to the show all the way from Germany today. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Hi. Thank you. We're glad to be here. Yeah, we're we're super excited to talk to you. Not only are Dave and I uh, very, very big fans of the comic and, and what you do, uh, but you you two have a working relationship that I, I cannot wait to delve into. So so let's start here. How did you two meet and, and how did your working relationship develop? Um, yeah, we actually met at art school. So um we were, yeah, we were just like, oh, that, that guy over there looks funny. I think I'm going to go talk to him. And <laughs> I'm famous for looking funny. Now, wait a minute, I'm wait a, a minute. Guy. I've had a lot of, a lot of people yeah. at college, a lot of people at college thought that I looked funny. Nobody wanted to come over and talk to me. What was, <laughs> what, what was unique about this? Wow. Well, maybe you're at the wrong college. You should have gone to our college. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, uh, I think we noticed pretty I think pretty early on, I think at one of like the one of like the first semester parties or something that we had a very similar humor and that we were sort of like, uh, yeah. you know, like riffing off each other, doing like these little jokes. And it always escalated into these really absurd little, you know, almost like skits. And um, it was so funny um, to us, like, oh, here's this person. Like, I always thought I had like the most deranged humor. And then I met Jonathan and I was like, oh, wait, there's <laughs> someone else who has a similarly deranged human. <laughs> so, yeah. That's amazing. And so what was, how did the first, how did the first comic start that you did together? That first one that you said, mm -hmm. hey, let's draw a comic together. I'm not sure it was a comic. I think we started doing like doodles. Yeah. Um, it was almost just... like card, more like one picture cartoons. Yeah. We, we used to like draw on the same page, like starting from other directions <sighs> and then working away in, in inside like to the middle and just like writing yeah. dumb stuff and like 
silly characters and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. We yeah, didn't we actually, really start with comics. Yeah. We started actually like on a WordPress blog back when that was like still a thing. And we had like a Tumblr <laughs> yeah. blog when that was still a thing. So that was like, and they were this, it was really, really stupid stuff. Like we were like, ha, let's draw a potato <laughs> yeah. and it talks and it's playing a saxophone or something. It was like really, really like, you know, just like stupid sort of half-baked ideas. And then we sort of like, went from there then we noticed like oh you know people are like enjoying it and like writing like oh this was funny and so we went into more like okay should, can we make like little storytelling out of it and yeah there was no direction in yeah we at just, the beginning there was no it, direction we just did it for ourselves just to just to get each other yeah. like like laugh to, yeah yeah I think at the beginning it was very pure because we were like oh if we're laughing then that's enough for us like at the beginning we didn't really do it yeah. so much for other people and that was kind of like the the fun the fun part at the beginning. And then we'd also have like friends from art school that would join in and do like like you know draw with us. Like we had a number of friends like yeah. who were like, oh yeah, let's you know let's do this comic or let's do the story with four people or five people. And then we'd have like these ridiculous little ideas. And yeah, so it was pretty uh pretty punk rock at the beginning. I it say. was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing well, well what's great though about that that playing at the beginning because first of all you're building a relationship and how nice is that and how fun you were seeing what what makes both of you laugh but that developed into what i think is one of the most unique ways of creating comics i've ever seen which is yeah if i have this right you both write together but then you take turns drawing do i have that right that yeah. I, I, yeah. I've so I love comics and have spent uh, like, you know, years looking at how different people have created. I don't know that I've ever seen a duo no. that takes turn drawing. Can you talk us through how that works? Yeah, we we do have our own like individual sketchbooks and we write ideas in it. And then when we have a writing session together, we present the ideas to each other. And I think that must look funny for bystanders because um yeah we often get very loud and when an idea captivates <laughs> us we, we yeah we'll act it out we act it out we imitate the voices we we're gesticulating like <laughs> like wildly um yeah i think i think that's that's what a writing session looks like yeah yeah i think that's like the writing part of it and when it comes to like the drawing i think we early on we just looked for a style that we could both do um consistently where we're like okay what's like what's like a good style that you know brings our brings our humor across but isn't like too ornate or too like uh, crazy so that you know we'll always have the energy to keep a, up a high volume because we were when we st when we really dedicated to making like a weekly strip or like bi-weekly strip or you know, i don't know like two sometimes at some point we would do like two or three a week um we really were like, okay, it needs to be like a style where um, we always focus more like, okay, the story needs to be tight. The joke needs to be tight. And then the artwork just needs to be, um, shouldn't distract from the story. So it was pretty clear that we weren't going to have like this hyper-realistic style or like this overly yeah. ornate style. And um, yeah, we're actually pretty big fan of like the minimalist style that has become so, you know, more and more popular. Uh, well, can I ask one more follow-up question? So now, now that I know that both of you draw, which I'm fascinated by, I think that's so cool. Yeah. Uh, as a fan, how would I know when Jonathan's drawing and how would I know when Elizabeth is drawing? The hands. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, it's often that happens. <laughs> Jonathan draws better. Hands? Yeah, Jonathan draws better dogs. I draw better hands. I I, I probably your draw better. Your clouds are very good. My cl- your clowns are also very good. Yeah. Oh, your clouds! I thought you said clowns. Yeah, clouds. But your clowns are better, and my clouds are better. <laughs> exactly. And I think, my, yeah, yeah. But I always like when we'll we'll do like a little check when when one of us finished with uh, yeah. drawing, and the other person will always be like. Ah, oh, damn it! You did the weird thing with the with the mountains again. I keep telling you, to, and then we'll go in and we always go in and correct well, like that, a little bit. Like, oh, that leads me into my next question: is that is is do you ever have disagreements with how something should look or how something should be written? And if so, how do you how do you work that stuff out? Yeah, we do. Like for example, the last comic we did, right? You you were the perfecter of that um, expression at the end with the starfish. Oh yeah, we oh. talked about the expression said, like oh. a lot. Yeah, yeah. 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 We, we oh. actually drew it like three or four times, and you kept saying, "Ah, oh, no, it's not quite the thing yet." So we will have like little back and forth, but it's rarely that we'll get like really worked up and fight about something. I mean, that also happens, but it's not as often. <laughs> Not as Luckily. often, and not and not yeah. about punchlines or the story itself. Like it's it's other stuff. It's usually other stuff. Yeah, yeah. like technical technical details. Really, is it more often? Mm. Not even that. No, I, sometimes more about like how far are we going, to, willing to go with the joke. Like I yeah. think sometimes. Oh, you know, we're we're more like one of us will be feeling a little bit more cautious than the other, and um, and we'll be sort of like, ah, no, I don't yeah. feel comfortable with this joke, and the other one will be like, oh. no. It has to, it has to be punk rock. It has to stay that way. Yeah. On the other hand, like some people are being killed for their, for their drawing. So it never happened to us. Yeah. I mean, we draw a lot of Mm. butt and fart jokes. I mean, it's probably not gonna, I mean, I think that's a universal thing. A lot of people just love that. So I really hope that will but I would be willing to die for a fart comic. Yeah. For a good fart joke. Not for like a religious joke, but no. like for a butt or fart joke. But the yeah. joke really landed. It's worth dying for. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, do you ever get pushback? Cause one of my, I remember not so long ago, you had a witch at a gynecologist and a bat comes out. <laughs> And I thought, oh my gosh, that's, that's, that's a great concept. But do you get pushback for stuff like that from time to time? Yeah, of course we yeah, do. Yeah, we do, course. but, but we, we're able to ignore that. Of we, course, don't, yeah. we don't really care about that. I mean, yeah. it's not, I, I think if you read our comics, you get a feel for the topics that we find funny or like where our, you know, where our stance is on some topics. And I think that uh-huh. um, if there are people that don't agree with us, like fundamentally, you know, or just like, you know, like, for example, I think we did like this one comic where um, there was a princess and now they're a prince. And then people mm-hmm. were like, oh, what's with this, you know, agenda, blah, 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 you know, unfollow. Yeah. And when we read stuff like that, we're just like, <laughs> OK, bye. You know, yeah. that's not like the kind yeah. of <laughs> people that, you know, are going to be into our things anyway. So they don't need to hang around. Yeah. Right. Right, yeah, if right. they weren't going to leave then, they were going to leave eventually, yeah, because yeah. they weren't into what you were doing. So in, let me ask you this. In terms of both of you writing, I, I know just from myself, I, as a writer, I have ups and I have downs. And I, I like everybody, I experience writer's block. 
with two writers, it would seem that you would at least uh, mitigate that because maybe when one of you has writer block, the other one is really feeling great. And then you kind of seesaw. The question is, do you ever have writer's block at the same time? We, we hardly had that, but it's, it, it happens. Yeah, sure. It, it happens from time yeah. to time, but we, we do have like, a, we, we call it a pipeline. We do have, have like comics, um, written out like a couple of them to, to fill that gap for a certain time, at least. Oh, yeah. Um, we always work with uh, a buffer. That's smart. So we're never working like on yeah. the week. Exactly. Yeah. But I think that's, yeah. that's it. Like usually we like the, the seesaw principle that you mentioned, like it works for us most of the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I yeah, think like I, we'll sort of like feed off each other. Like one of us has like a bad mood and then we'll alternate. We'll like, you know, we'll yeah. try to carry each other through the other person's bad mood and then we will have no energy but the other person. It's like, okay, it's my turn. It's yeah. my week to be grumpy. Yeah. Yeah, we pick each other up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let, staying on the topic of writing, um, your comic is presented in, in several languages, in, in English, in German, and Spanish. Um, and I'm fascinated by this. I only speak Spanish aside from English, but when you are writing with the knowledge that it's going to be translated very quickly, or, or you know, like you, you yourself will be doing the translation for other languages, do you think that changes how you write a comic uh, in terms of whether a punchline is visually presented versus verbally presented or because um, I, I a part of me suspects that it might actually improve the writing process if you have to think it through in different languages. But I'm curious what you, is does that present more problems or does it make it better overall that you have to present in English and German and Spanish? We we have to disappoint you because we don't we don't think at, about that like at all. Oh, we, that's not true. Like, <laughs> not, like, not at all because I know we were talking about this earlier, and I do remember some instances where we were like, ah, let's not use this word or let's not do this exactly in that like where we did tweak a little bit because oh, yeah. we thought oh, it will be really hard for people to translate it, you know, because sometimes we have like dialogue humor, but it's very rare. Yeah. It's very rare very that we rare. will explicitly change something in the yeah. comic. I do remember like we have this like super, super dedicated translator for the French version. Like this, this is like, oh yeah, our, he's like, great. He's great. And he's been doing like amazing work. And I remember like one comic where we had the punchline was like the birds shitting the word thank you over the cars. Oh yeah, and then we just did that, and we're like, and we're like, okay, we're done with our comic, you know, Friday night, we're done. And then he basically got the comic and was like, oh my god, how am I going to do this? And he got, he put it in his, like, he was like sweating profusely, probably because he's like, shit, I have to, you know, go into the comic. So he, he, you know, he got the raw file, took the, took the bird shit out, and put merci in bird shit back in and drew it like really really well yeah. and when we saw that on sunday when he published like his word we were like oh no it's <laughs> we great. didn't even think yeah. about how difficult we're gonna make it's it it's amazing he's a great guy. yeah so yeah. we were like so sometimes we'll notice but it's in hindsight in hindsight yeah. yeah because it's it's very rare that we're thinking about that like while we're writing that's true yeah and then we just just leave the work for the translators yeah 
Um, yeah, we're very thankful that we mm-hmm. have like these really cool people that are willing to do that in their free time. I mean, we cannot pay all of them. We will sometimes send them gifts yeah. or if we have like translations for books, we will work with them. But it's yeah. very like we're we're happy to like, yeah, we're happy, you know, that they're just on this uh, journey with us and they usually do it out of the goodness and kindness of their heart. Yeah. yeah. So well, now, having a translator willing to do the artwork for Mercy in in, yeah. in the artwork itself, that's going above and beyond. That's fantastic when you yeah. can when you can find that. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Hold on to that translator for as long as you can. <laughs> <laughs> we are, we are. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Uh you you two are 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 really uh, uh, prevalent on social media. You you're you're doing really great. I see on 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 all the social media platforms. Uh, do you have a strategy for social media that you're enacting, or are you uh, just relying on, on the quality of the comic itself? Um, sort of. I mean, the quality of the comic, or like making a funny comic, is definitely like the first priority, or like the first thing that we yeah. we we had as a strategy. Um, I think social media for us was like a learning by doing process because we sort of jumped in when social media was like, you know, I mean, we, this is going to make us sound old and we're not that, <laughs> we're not that old, but um, I would say we were at like a good point where, where web comics were becoming like a thing on social media. Like when we started Instagram didn't, didn't even exist yet. You know, we started on Tumblr, we had a WordPress site, yeah. then Facebook, took off we were like pretty pretty early in i'd say on facebook and then when instagram came we were Mm -hmm. like oh what's this you know we waited two or three years but we still you know got in when there wasn't like when instagram we got in when instagram was still cool i would say instagram is is ridiculous now but it used to be actually a really cool (laughs) platform yeah um and Mm -hmm. so i think we were always like sort of like oh okay we saw these platforms come and go and now we know it's better to not be too attached to one platform. So I think that was always like this yeah. sort of learning process that we went through because we had some some like comic colleagues who were like, oh, you know, I'm going to put like all my energy into Instagram. And then mm. Instagram got real, real shitty. And now they're like, oh, no, what am I going to do? I can't reach anyone anymore. So we always said it's a priority for us to have our like our own website where no one can censor us, where no one can you know, uh, hide or, or, you know, algorithmically like um, manipulate who's going to see our things. And, um, you know, to always like also push our newsletter and be like, hey, if you want to get our comics, like, you know, straight to your inbox without all the annoying stuff, you know. And I think a lot of people really, really um, appreciate like having that unfiltered access to things where they don't have to get on an app and look at a lot of crap and advertising. (laughs) to see to see the stuff so yeah yeah so the main strategy is basically to to create like good art to make funny comics um and we don't we don't even try to to attract like the the mass audience like anymore yeah i think we we did Mm -hmm. we did we were sort of like lured by the promises of social media at the beginning exactly and then we were like oh no this is like this is like a um a highway to hell basically like yeah. if you get too caught up <laughs> yeah because yeah. you get so caught up yeah. and I'm like oh no more likes more followers what you know yada 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 and it ne- it doesn't end you know yeah and we mm-hmm. we recently stumbled over the 1000 true followers strategy by Kevin Kelly 
Um, yeah. And yeah. he says that you should focus on your 1,000 true followers instead of the mass audience. Um, and although we have like millions of followers on, ver on various platforms, the funding is still, is still difficult. Like my, my neighbor, mm -hmm. he still thinks that, that, I don't know, like Instagram pays us and wonders why I'm not like moving to the big yeah. mansion in the hills. Like, you get a dollar for every follower right, on right. Instagram, right? And <laughs> yeah, like that. that. So, <laughs> so if anyone is listening who still thinks that, that we're being paid by Instagram, yeah, we're, we're not. not. We're no, not. we're yeah. not. We make zero money off Instagram. <laughs> like it's, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Like anyway, if you, if you can like attract 1,000 true followers who are willing to pay up to, I don't know, $100 a year, like you're taken care of. And also true followers yeah. are the ones who will stick to you when you're in a, in a weak or like mediocre phase as an artist. And yeah. I think that's, that's beautiful to know. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think that's something we've been doing before you discovered that principle Yeah, because we, um, we really like, like we said before, you know, with the website and the newsletter, we have like, we have really devoted fans that will like write us emails and be like, oh, you guys, your book really like, you know, I was having such a crappy time. And, you know, every time I pick up your book, it, it's really like, you know, it comforts me and I have to laugh or the, it reminds me of, you know, um, a beloved pet I had that was exactly like, you know, your character. And yeah, it's really like that's that's something that's really like dear to us we um i mean i think that goes for like a lot of people that make comics you know connecting and like putting your jokes out there you're always interacting with an audience that that's one of the great part like yeah. parts of the job for us so yeah well i have to say for for younger cartoonists that might be listening this is such fantastic advice in yes. terms of two artists that from everything that i hear when you start out in the process you you intend to make yourself laugh first and that's yeah. your that's your gold standard of of writing and then to own and control your own website, your own newsletter. I mean, you to still do the other social media, but to know that you're really trying to winnow down to the couple thousand fans that love you, love you, love you and will support you uh, for the years to come. That is such great advice for for younger cartoonists to hear. So thank you for that. Yeah. So I, I know I, I, we can't keep you much longer, but I did want to ask you this before our time runs out. Talk about the most joy-filled part of your creative process. Um, yeah, I think I think luckily most of part most of the parts are fun. I think uh, the thinking and writing part is um, is one of the most fun because it's like so unhinged. Like I think when you know you know kind of humor we're into, it's definitely like sort of like oh and then this happened and then you'll be like oh and then what if this happens and i'll be like oh yeah and then this could happen so yeah, it's like very getting louder each time yeah like, <laughs> yeah so that's definitely a very fun yeah, thing like fun. We're, we're we're like if we go into a cafe here in our hometown like the like the baristas will already be like oh <laughs> them again <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. yeah so that's that's I, I think so too it's it's the it's the most fun part but on the other hand like the business part is is fun as well i yeah. think because it's a it's like yeah. a totally different mindset yeah. it's like most strategically yes yes i mean when i started with spreadsheets you hated them and now oh yeah you love them yeah, <laughs> yeah she's obsessed with, I, with i'm obsessed with spreadsheets, spreadsheets. i have a problem i should yeah. i should go to a, a help self-help group definitely <laughs> no because i mean that was part of the process you know when we started yeah. we didn't have a plan and then basically we thought you know 
wouldn't it be fun if we could do this for a living? Yeah. But no one ever taught us yeah. how. So we kind of had to teach ourselves and it just started with, okay, let's write down when we make a buck, we'll have to put it, you know, put it somewhere. So we no. know, you know, you spend a buck, you make a buck, and then you have to see that what comes in is more than what comes goes out. So yeah. we just started like this yeah. professionalization process. Yeah. And now we have scientific proof that it's yeah. Now it's we have better. lots like we have of spreadsheets, spreadsheets that show us. Yeah, you know you're doing okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. But the most fun part, I think, is and I don't know. I yeah, I think so for you too. Like, is when when people are writing back to us and they're oh, like, yeah. "Hey, um, in." in such a bad face at the moment and i haven't like laughed in in weeks but like your cat your comic made me crack up and yeah and i think that's that's yeah. amazing like we had this one uh, so lady who wrote us and was like oh uh we have this comic where um a guy bends up to pick he's like oh a lucky penny and he bends down and then his butt like his jeans rip and you see like his butt and everyone on the street is like laughing at him and he's like oh, so embarrassed and then this lady comes and says oh Sir, you have the most amazing bottom. And then in the fourth panel, they they're get, getting married. Yeah. And this one woman wrote, um, "I this reminds me of how I met my fiance, and we're getting married in a few months. Can I <laughs> can I use this for my wedding invitations?" And we were like, "Absolutely, yes, you can. That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing." And I I love to think about things like that where. You know, you have, imagine getting that as a wedding invitation. That's amazing. Yeah. I'd be like, these are, they're, they're going to be married. I think they're going to make it. Yeah. I think they're going to so make too. it. Yeah. Best love story. Yeah. That's a wedding yeah. you want to go to when you yes. get that in the invitation. That's great. Absolutely. Well, so I want to say for, for uh, Brad and I cannot recommend enough. If you have not checked out War and Peace yet, uh, you're going to want to go to warandpeas.com, uh, P-E-A-S.com. Yes. And then uh, I know of uh, a book published in the, in English by Andrew Zucmiel. There's also, can you tell folks for the, the German, the Spanish, and the French editions that have been published where they can find? Uh, do you happen to know the, the publishers offhand that they can look up in their own languages? Yeah, we're published in Germany by Panini, Panini exactly. Comics. In French by Edi Witt. And in Spanish by uh, Deep. How do I how do, how do I pronounce it? RBA. Yeah, Libros, probably. Yeah. RBA Libros. RBA, oh, Libros. Oh, RBA Libros. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah That's great. That's a wonderful list. I boy. I so anyway, if you have uh, take Brad and I at, at our uh, at our highest amount of fandom. And go check out warandpeace.com. Please read the entire collection. We love, love, love your work. Thank yes. you for your cartooning. Thank you for the gift of your time today. And, and God, it was a pleasure to meet you. This is really a delightful chat. Yeah. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much. It was, it was a, a pleasure. pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was a pleasure. It, it no, was it was my pleasure. <laughs> and and if if your <laughs> if Editing your next author signing brings you to the U.S., we have you have to let us buy you a beer to say thank you. Yeah. So oh, thank yes, you. definitely please, let us buy you a beer the next time you're here. Yes, we're yes. German, so we love beer. Yeah, we love yeah. that. Okay. <laughs> I'm so glad we could have that interview. That was fantastic. And on that note, I get to say you've been listening to Comic Lab, the show about making comics and making a living from comics. Your hosts have been my friend, Brad Geiger, who's good going in, good going out, as they're going to find in the colonoscopy this week. He's the editor of webcomics.com and the creator of Evil Inc. at evil-comic.com. 
and my close personal friend. Your number is going to be up pretty soon, Dave Kellogg, <laughs> the co-director of the comics documentary Stripped and the cartoonist of Sheldon at SheldonComics.com and Drive at DriveComic.com. And a huge thank you once again to our new friends uh, over at warandpeas.com. That's W-A-R-A-N-D-P-E-A-S.com. You definitely want to go check them out. And the Comic Lab theme song is used with permission from Andy Creighton at theworldrecord.net. And this episode was edited by Matt Woodard of Woodsong Productions over at www.woodsong.media. If you love Comic Lab, you can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. You may hear your review featured on a future episode. And definitely remember to give us a five-star rating over on Spotify, where we are blowing up for reasons we don't even understand. Uh, still the number one comics podcast over on Spotify, beating out Marvel and DC and all sorts of other fun, fantastic podcasts. So thank you, thank you for your kind support over on Spotify. And I will tell you, Comic Lab is made possible by your support on patreon.com slash comic lab. So we'll go ahead and say that twice. Patreon.com slash okay, Mr. Geiger, you're going to feel a tiny little bit of coldness. <laughs> oh, it's not going to be cold, is it? <laughs> Can you I imagine if they dip that. it nice? That would be delightful if they dip it nice. Wouldn't that oh, be great? You'd think they'd warm it up first. No, they've read your comics. <laughs> Okay, Brad, so let's say the colonoscopy is over. Tim has uncomfortably driven you home in what can only be described as a, a no longer the new fresh car smell. Uh, you're now home. Yeah. What is the food you go to scarf down after a colonoscopy? Oh, I don't even. Oh, that's a good question. Like, I've got to, for the whole Thursday before, I can only have like a, a beef broth and jello. Like, I, I can't eat. <laughs> anything but brief broth and jello and like that kind of stuff but i don't know whether that's a good question because I, I i mean i don't want to i don't want to overdo it the first time out so i i want to i want to take it easy on my colon after all this i don't know i don't know part of me says steak the other part of me says you know chicken soup or an oatmeal or something i don't know I, that's that's this is actually a bigger question that i was prepared for i had not okay. thought about what i'm gonna eat What's funny is a light has kind of gone off on your face of like you're excited about what to what you get to do. Oh, yeah. Like, do I yeah. go ice cream? Do I go do oh. I go big Philly cheesesteak? I don't know what I'm gonna do. I, I know what I'm not gonna eat. Baked beans. <laughs> oh god, oh god, oh god. <laughs>